I'm Rabbi Patrick. This is Dan. And this is episode 29, Buildings. All right, so it's uh, it's been a while since we've gotten together. Is this a stained podcast? Yeah, <laughs> my uh, my old bandmates in uh, you know Can Can will appreciate the stained comment immediately after the guitar uh, bit that I stole, so that we could have intro music. I think I this. stole that stained joke too. Oh, from, really? Um, Comedy Bang Bang the podcast. So, this is uh, the season of theft. I like this. That, that's cool. The season of theft. But but more accurately, it's the season of Hanukkah. One hour and 15 minutes till yeah. the end of Hanukkah. Yeah, give or take. Yeah, it's 3.40 p.m. now. Yeah, it's been getting dark. Yeah, may, maybe it'll stretch out to 5.30. Maybe. Right. Uh, yeah, and then it's all over. Done. Boom. I've already taken down my decorations. Uh, yeah. How did uh, did you accumulate sufficient amount of gelt this year? Um, not so much, actually. I have one little bag that I got from Cost Plus World Market, and uh, I gotta say, big fan of the dark chocolate, not the milk chocolate. I don't know where you stand on dark chocolate versus milk chocolate or the white chocolate outlier. No, white chocolate is not chocolate. Doesn't I, okay? I, no, I do not touch it. I, I'm glad that we're not separated by denominational differences <laughs> no. on that one. Uh, I even sometimes sometimes I even go straight up baking chocolate. Really? Yeah. The the like ninety five percent. No, one hundred percent. You can handle that. I can. I wouldn't say it's. I wouldn't say it's pleasurable. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you do it anyway. But it's in a pinch. Yeah, it's certainly it's certainly more than edible. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of like um, what would it like sort of like mediocre toast or something like sure you, you can you can eat it. It's not. It's like maintenance pizza. Like you get like the cheap, the, the real cheap pizza, and it's like, well, it's pizza. At least we got that <laughs> maintenance. Oh, okay, got it. Got yeah, it. yeah. Well, actually, you know, speaking of food, ah, uh, uh, I'm I'm taking the silence out there to mean where is my latest bagel review of bagels? I haven't eaten yet. It's true, and I haven't not eaten a bagel since the last time we met. Right. So I have no bagel to review. I do, however, have in front of me a plate with two triscuits. <laughs> in fact, they're not triscuits. Technically, they're woven wheat crackers, the Food Lion brand. Nice. Private labeling. It's a thing. Right. Um, and they're in front of me, and I'm going to eat one right now. Okay. There you go. I, uh, I can confirm that since this isn't on video, he did in fact eat one of mm -hmm. two said not Would you like one, Patrick? Uh, I don't, you know, if this is for your review, if you need to have both, otherwise I'll take, uh, I'll take one. Okay. And I'll have, have it with uh, whatever um, very bizarre tea mm -hmm. I'm having here that uh, you made for me. Okay. All right. But that's it. There's no review. Maybe next time. Yeah. Tr I respect that. A Triscuit was eaten. Two triscuits were eaten. No, one and a half. One and a half. I haven't finished Patrick this takes one yet. his time. Mm -hmm. So while Patrick is savoring the goodness of a woven wheat cracker, I will uh, let you guys know what we're talking about buildings. Not, you know, not any building, of course, but houses of worship, temples, synagogues. 
Um, and we're going to start with, and, and, and how we come to this, well, 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 Patrick sent me a note yesterday with a few options for what we want to talk about for today's podcast. And um, he listed one of them as, as buildings. And that was my first reaction was, why is that on your mind, kind sir? Sure. Well, so one of the things about my line of work is that you're on a different schedule than most people. Your rhythm is different. So like even today, today's Wednesday. This Wednesday is basically my Sunday, right? So it's when I can like get the, you know, the dry cleaning done, buy the groceries, things like that. The same is true for mornings. Morning for me most days is everyone else's evening. Um, so that's when I kind of do things that I want to do, whatever, before I go to work, right? As opposed to after work. So I spend a lot of time going to different places and, uh... Why, why is that for mornings for you? How do you mean? Why, why is it that you, that you do your chores during the mornings? Because I tend to have so many afternoon and uh, evening meetings same. that I, I try to treat... And actually, I fail at this often because I make the mistake of checking email, in the morning. And now I'm getting smarter about not doing that. Yeah. Because if I'm going to work afternoons and evenings one-on-one -on -one with people, then I need to respect my time in the morning as right. my time. But right. like, I mean, you know, today even like before I got here I was at Target, right? So I'm not I'm not sitting in a desk. But I've been going to different people's offices a lot lately or um, I've, I've got some free time coming up, so maybe I'll be in synagogues that friends of mine work at, uh, or things like that. Um, and I also go to museums, like just to decompress. So we have two free museums here that are fantastic. We actually have more than that. The Holocaust Museum as well is free, but the ones that I tend to go to are the VMFA, so our art museum, and then the history uh, museum here. And I just wander. It's my way of decompressing. Can I put a pause on yes, that? Yes, absolutely. Yesterday, I went to the Valentine Museum. Have you been there? The Valentine Museum? Yes. I don't know what that is. It's, well, it is a museum that is down um, right by MCV. Okay. Um, for if, you, if you're not familiar with Richmond Geography, I mean... You can you, just zone out. You can zone out. Um, <laughs> we'll bring you back but to it's the right a, time. But it's a museum about the, essentially about the history of Richmond and history of Virginia. Okay. But it's also in a... In an old house, it's one of those old houses that's been converted. Into oh, the, sure, sure. It was phenomenal. Okay, the guy, I'll the, check it the, out. The, the tour that we took um, of the of the of the old house um, was one of the most interesting museum experiences, really, that I've ever had. Really, um, if, if you're listening, Nathan, the tour guide, <laughs> he wasn't great. He was just great. Um, now it's not free, right? But uh, Bar a bargain at twice the price. Okay, cool. I'll check um, it out. But anyways, get back. And, and, and of course, we're getting off on another one of our topics, museums. Right. We're thinking of starting one. Yeah, we are. It's true, actually. So, so it's funny how kind of life overlaps sometimes. Yeah. So anyway, so I go to these museums or I go to, like, if I, if I have friends who are clergy, like, I'll go visit them at their house of worship, whatever. And the consistent thing is, these places are empty. Right? Like, especially, like, if you go to a museum and there's no, like, if it's, if it's, like, Monday at 3 in the afternoon and there's no kids group, the largest number of people who are at the museum are the docents and employees of the museum. Same is true with churches, synagogues, mosques, right? Unless you're going during a worship time, they're empty. It's the clergy and maybe an assistant, maybe a volunteer. But, I mean, really, truly empty. 
And there was a time in our history, and I'm, I'm speaking really from an American perspective, where we built huge buildings, um, <clears throat> particularly houses of worship. We built these gigantic buildings. Um, and sometimes it was because these buildings were donated and we renovated them. Sometimes it was just you could get the land cheap, right? So you bought as much land as you could and you built the biggest space that you could. Um, and it's funny for me because for eight and a half years of working for the Punctora Network, we've never had our own office. We've never had like our own building. And People have said to me before, like, well, you really need an office. Like, you need, you know, a building or a whatever for such and such. And now being a part of a sort of brick-and-mortar community without the bricks and without the mortar, same question. It's, well, where's your building? And this thing of buildings and then just recently really noticing how most of the time they are just empty um, has been kind of, I don't know, that's been bouncing around in my head. Mm. So, um, of course, trying to make this about something more than just observational humor right. that's not necessarily that funny. Um, <laughs> observational not stuff. Observational stuff. Observational observations. I, um, I actually described our podcast to someone the other day as like, it's you and I doing pickup basketball with mm. no other people and right. without the basketball. Right. <laughs> It serves only Boy, the purpose of us yeah, in a room together. Right. Right. <laughs> but uh, kind of a grim but properly accurate description. <laughs> um, yeah. So. so, so you've been thinking about it in a contemporary perspective, right? But let's let's go back. Let's go back a little ways. We'll, we'll come back there, right? Um, but let's let's start. Why why did Jews build buildings to begin with? For how, why did they build temples, houses of worship? Well, how did that start, and why? Right. So it's actually appropriate timing because ending Hanukkah. Talking about Hanukkah, um, you know, the idea of Hanukkah was the rededication of the temple. So you have a religious practice in the Bible, which is all about a centralized cult with a hereditary or not so much anymore with the Hasmoneans, but that kind of idea of a familial cult. Um, and you have sacrifices, and you have daily sacrifices. People don't realize, some people don't realize, that the Levites offered sacrifices on Shabbat. So what we would call today Shomer Shabbos, they weren't. Um, they wouldn't fit our own religious uh, paradigm. But um, So you have a religion that's based around a particular piece of real estate. And when I was in Israel recently, you know, we went to the Wailing Wall, we went to the South Wall, and you look up and you realize the Western Wall is just a retaining wall. It's not even the thing. And you look up and you sort of realize how big this would have been. And, I mean, it is frighteningly huge. So I've had it on my mind, this question of buildings, from the experience of, okay, we had this temple. We uh, lost it. We built it back up. We lost it, we rededicated it, then it was destroyed. And we have since then, since the year 70, not rebuilt it. It's just the fragments that we have that are archaeological sites. Um, and I was thinking about when we did that podcast with Caitlin, and maybe I can repost that on Facebook so that people can get the context of this. You decided to do a gotcha question, and you asked at the end, like, what? I don't remember how you asked it, but it was like, what's the thing that you spend the most time on that you, like, don't want to do? And I gave some, like, nonsense answer that was totally a cop-out. But she was honest, and she said it was the building was the problem, right? 
So thinking about, okay, so we lose the temple, then we have to reinvent the religion of Judaism. So we reinvent it, and we come up with the idea of the synagogue, right? So the synagogue is really uh, a combination of a place to learn, a place to pray, but also a place to do business. Um, so you had a time when people did business in synagogues. It was treated almost more like a JCC, a Jewish Community Center today. It became more and more in America the Jewish church, right? And you look at some of the architecture and different buildings at different times reflect the architectural trend of the time. But why was it, why, even, even, even back then, why was it needed? In other words, were the, were the, were the congregations so large that they couldn't be, to get together for worship, they couldn't be in somebody's home or in the public square or... I think, well, the public square, that's partially anti-Semitism, right? Because not having a particular homeland uh, after the expulsion um, and all these other things and the rampant anti-Semitism, even when you had ghettos and you had sort of Jewish towns, shtetls, mm -hmm. all of that, you still had to deal with the dangers of public space Jewish life, right? Okay. And yeah, I mean, every community wants to centralize in some way. And the temple, perhaps, in Jerusalem is part of that urge to centralize. Um, and so the first thing you do in a Jewish town is you build a cemetery, uh, uh, or actually uh, you build a uh, mikveh, you build a cemetery, and then you build uh, the synagogue. So the synagogue is not necessarily the most important thing, but it's the thing that most people can go to and be a part of and see their neighbors and, and all of that. Um, and yeah, so you, you look at the architecture of different buildings in different times and yeah, there's certain artistic architectural periods that, you know, Jews went completely along with. There's some synagogues that have a Spanish Moorish design. And then you go to the ones that were built in, you know, that really wonderful period in architecture, which was about 1978 to 1982, where it was just like, um, Frank Lloyd Wright meets a double wide trailer. I mean, just like with pink carpet and just awful, awful design, uh, very contemporary for its age, but, uh, you know, not uh, not so much. In in so much as if you had exposed brick, you covered it with sheetrock and then put fake exposed brick on the sheetrock. Mm. Um, so now where we are today is that synagogues are closing, and partially because you have these big buildings. Who's going to be in them? How are you going to pay for them? The membership model concept financially so, is a so, thing. But before we get here, yeah, so, yeah. so was it an idea? Because the implication, the implication of what you just said is that right. maybe it's not working, uh, or it's not working as well as it could. Yeah, or maybe congregations need to rethink whether they need them. But when did it, when did it work? Or were the, or were they always kind of half empty? Were they, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. And I think we suffer sometimes from golden age thinking and thinking that, you know, particularly the 1960s, that like, wow, we just the 1960s, that's when we really had this whole community thing figured out. And I think the reason why people believe that is in the 1960s, the conservative movement was absolutely taking names uh, because they built out in the suburbs. And that's where growth, population growth was. And they made the bar and bat mitzvah a big thing, a much bigger thing than it even was. Um, the reform movement, which was against bar and bat mitzvah, they, they got rid of that and they did confirmation instead. Uh, they got into the bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah game. And uh, 
you know, so a lot of people grew up with this idea of like watching children uh, become adults. And, you know, there's old man so-and-so who survived the Holocaust and now he's helping to pay for the whatever. And it's this nostalgia of, of a time when things were just perfect. And, uh, you know, they probably weren't. <laughs> but let's say you went to the suburbs of Philadelphia in 1963 on a Tuesday afternoon at 3 right. o'clock. Would anybody have been there besides the rabbi and, and maybe the cantor and maybe a volunteer? Yeah, that's... Or, or we don't... I guess in some ways we don't know. In some, in some ways we don't know, but I do think... I, I do think what you're getting at is valuable. And I had a friend of mine, a conservative rabbi friend of mine, say to me, you know, you have to think about... Um, the roles in the synagogue world from a lay standpoint uh, as sort of a counter to anti-Semitism. So meaning if you go into some of these old synagogues and you find like albums that they made of like different years that they had, you'll see like here's the men's group leader, here's the women's group leader, here's the mahjong leader, here's the whatever. Well, you know, you have to make your own country club if you're not allowed in the country club. Right. You have to make your own men's group if you're not allowed into the Masons or, uh, you know, or whatever, the Shriners, any number of things. So, yeah, so a lot more people were involved because that's what you could be involved with. And also, in America, you had a closer tie to the founding of Israel and the Holocaust, right? These were very near memories, and that's going to kind of shape your thought about community and what it means to belong to a people more so now than, you know, someone, look, who, like, you know, grew up, uh, you know, in an interfaith household who's like, I'm Jewish, but it's kind of not, I mean, there's like five other identities above that that, you know, I sort of go to when I think about who I am as a person. Yeah, and I wonder, too, if there's this idea of the... You've heard this in, in sociology, this sort of thir the third place. Yeah, third place right, experience. Right. There's your there's your home and your work, and then looking for that third place. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe maybe at a time at times maybe that was your synagogue, and it's but maybe that's just not as much the case anymore. Even if you do, even if you do belong, even if you are a member and you're a believer and everything, you might not necessarily. Maybe you'd rather go to Starbucks. Right. Maybe you'd rather stay home and watch Netflix. Right. Maybe you'd rather, so maybe that's a piece of it too. It's just. Absolutely. The yeah. Evolving third place. Um, I think question. you're, I think you're right about that. And I think, um, you know, if you look at some of the buildings, I mean, they made the fellowship halls really, really nice. Yeah. Right. Because that's where you were going to go for casino night. That's where you were going to go for whatever. Right. So you wanted something nice. Mm -hmm. Um, I had an experience where there was a uh, synagogue I knew, and they were going to do a huge renovation, right? And so they do it, and I mean, it didn't Which really a huge capital campaign, right? Yeah, let's not forget that every time you fix a building, you have to pay have someone fix it. You have to pay for it somehow. Um, so they fixed it, and this woman, uh, young woman, had had come in for an event. And uh, an older woman said to her, like, gosh, you know, we spent all this money on this place. And, like, it's such a shame that, you know, people your age don't come here. And, and the woman replied, we never asked you to do that. Right. And I think that's a really, like, that moment when I heard that story, I was like, that's so true, though. Right. No one asked you to do that. You did that. Right. Um, you know, failing to know your market. Yeah, if that's even your market. Right. right. 
um, isn't the fault of said market. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, it's not It's not my fault that I don't appreciate the thing that you did for me that I didn't know you were doing for me for which I didn't ask you to do and would rather you have spent money on something else. Um, so yeah, so I, I think we're in this conundrum right now where we have all these these buildings. But do you, but before we move there, do you, yeah, do yeah. you see a, a kind of intergenerational bitterness there? Bitterness might be too strong of a word, but do you think there's some resentfulness of the of the sort of sunsetting generation saying, well, look, we spent all this money on these buildings and now you don't even want to come to them? Um, or is that too too general, probably too broad? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, because I, I, I'm in a weird situation of like, you know, I work in this online world and then, you know, Bonet Kodesh, we meet in people's homes and churches and things like that. Um, but I mean, I've had people, I guess the, a version of that, I've heard people say things like, um, you know, it's such a shame that, uh, and this isn't a Bonet Kodesh thing, but this is like other places, um, things like, well, why, why would we do an event at a brewery when there's a perfectly good synagogue sitting here, right? Well, and it's because that market, whoever that is, is not interested. The other thing, too, is that it's not just a young adult thing, right? And also, when does young start? Is young 40? Is young 20? Right. right? When does it start? When, when does it end? Yeah, when does it start? When does it end? Why is there Why is there a theory that 60-year-olds want to hang out in a church or a synagogue? Why do we default to that mm -hmm. and assume that the 30-year-old doesn't? Um, I, you know, I've known plenty of people who are like, you know, synagogue addicts, like they go all the time and they're 30, 35, you know, they're the, the outlier. And, and then you have, you know, their parents age who are like, okay, well, if that's meaningful to you, then go for it. I'll be, you know, at Brute's Chris Steakhouse or, or whatever. Right. Um, I hear they have good desserts. Really? Mm-hmm. I've heard that they serve the steaks on a sizzling platter, which I was then told is not proper because you're supposed to let a steak sit. Let it rest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know if anyone has an opinion on this <laughs> podcast <laughs> at rabbipatrick.com. <laughs> give us your opinion of Ruth Chris uh, desserts and the, the flaming steak problem or issue or choice. Um, yeah, so so that's that's just kind of where it seems we are. Is is we're in this weird place where we have these buildings. I I think that there are cool things that can be done. Co-working space, that's something you can do uh with that kind of space. Nursery schools are a big one. I mean, that's that's a thing now. Um I said to someone once in a large city that was the rabbi of a very large synagogue. I said, you have all these like little Jewish nonprofits that are popping up and some of it's young adults, some of it's other things. Why don't you just take one of the sanctuaries that you kind of don't need and why don't you turn that into an office space and everyone can rent a desk and I was told that that would never work because there were 40 people on the board and they're trying to get 40 people to agree mm -hmm. to literally remove chairs from a room and put desks in would just be political suicide. So, uh, yeah, so I don't know. But maybe that's I mean, that of kind of attitude is fine, except then don't say we want to change. Right. Right? Just say it's everything's great. Everything's great. Yep, we've got this empty, this empty room and we're good with it. But most people don't say that. They right. say, yeah, man. This doesn't seem quite right, but then they don't want to change. Well, and the the cost thing which you brought up that that we didn't touch on is is another astounding part because particularly you know in the Jewish world because we don't sort of pass the plate, 
uh, we have this concept called membership, right? And even then, like, listen to that word membership. That harkens back to, well, yeah, you can't become a member of the country club. You can't become a member of whatever, right? And there are people who... Do you know when that began in America? The membership concept? Yeah. So it started with sponsorship. Okay. So what you would do, um, and actually, if you go, if you go to some of the really old synagogues, where they haven't renovated this out. You can go, there was one that I went to in Italy, actually once, where they had um, these seats, and the seats had little, like, cubbies in them, like when you're in elementary school, and they were locked. Mm. And each locked cubby had a brass plate, mm. and it had the name of whoever's seat that was. And so you could basically keep your prayer book and your talit and your tefillin or, or you know, you know, copy of Sports Illustrated or whatever, whatever you wanted in your cubby, and you that was your seat, and it was known that was your seat. You could also uh, buy for high holidays. You could buy the seat that was on the bima on the altar mm -hmm. where the rabbi was, which I don't understand why anyone would want to buy that because the whole time you're just basically staring at the rabbi's back. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, maybe in a traditional synagogue you would get to then look at the cantor. While the cantor sings, but I, you know, it's a trade off of being on display that whole time. And then, then, but maybe that's it. Maybe it's ego too. Like you like the idea of being displayed. Yeah. I, I think it's weird, but, right. uh, but yeah, but so was that idea still that exists today? You know, you can sponsor, let's say, um, a Yarzite plaque, right? Someone passes away. Oh, this plaque in memory of so and so. And you, you pay some kind of money for it. Um, those kinds of things. That, so it was sponsorship and then eventually sort of changing to membership. Somewhere between sponsorship and membership, you then got the high holidays tickets. So, But membership, was that like early 20th century maybe? Mid-20th century? Maybe, yeah, like something like that. Or I think, I think that definitely 20th century... Um, uh, much earlier than I think we've that we would know, but I'm not exactly sure. And we don't do a particularly whole lot of fact checking on this podcast. No. So if anybody, I'm making up all any, of this. If anybody would like to chime in, <laughs> yeah. When did membership really we're, start? We're happy. Do we to, know? Um, we're happy to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but man, we've got these buildings, and we got to do something with them. So what are? So you mentioned a couple of ideas: the co-working space, the place for Jewish nonprofits, the preschool, what, what, what are some kind of even more kind of radical ideas that you've thought of and, and what do you see as potential drawbacks to them? I know a community that at least they used to, I don't know if they do anymore, used to host a farmer's market hmm. uh, in their sort of fellowship hall which I think was pretty cool. And this woman told me about it, and she said, yeah, my kids think that the synagogue is where you go to buy your vegetables. Um, and, and, you know, hey, it, it brought some people in, so that's pretty cool. So, yeah, so something like that. Um, I think the Actors Temple in New York is super cool because they turned their worship space into a theater so they could do off-Broadway shows, and that, that helps them. So that's really neat. There are so many artists that need art studios, places like that. That's pretty cool. I think anything anything that we can do to get human beings in the building, creating, making, 
bringing some kind of energy into these kind of empty spaces, I think is crucial. And it's not going to work for everyone and everything. You you know, it's going to be hard to like, you know, take some Jewish museum and, you know, suddenly like, oh, here's this guy who wants to start his own woodworking, you know, shop. Okay, he's going to do that in the middle of the lobby, you know, sawing boards while people are, you know, putting their... Like motorcycle repair shop. Right. uh, You know, right. But, you know... Why can't we use these spaces for interfaith purposes more than just, oh, this is the worship service where, you know, three groups are going to get together. Like, you know, why not rent space to a church? Why not rent space to a mosque? I'm sure there's people that have done it somewhere. Um, So that's an option. Um, I think really anything we can do to um, encourage the growth and development of the communities we're in. Right. If you think of a sanctuary as being a space where community grows, then what we can do is look outside of ourselves and we can say, hey, do, is there some nonprofit that needs a space for job training? Well, job training is a good thing for our community and that reflects our values. So is it a Jewish thing? Is it a Christian thing? Is it a Muslim thing? Who cares? It makes your community better. So bring them in. Um, so if I was in charge of all the religious real estate in America, I suppose that's what I would do. And I say that as someone who, you know, has in the past looked at office space and looked at, uh, real estate for, uh, for my various doings and commercial real estate's no joke. I mean, it's expensive even for the smallest space and the, the cheaper you go, the kind of lousier it gets. So if I could go in somewhere and have maybe four or five people doing different things and I could rent space for whatever my thing was, I just think that would be great energy. So um, what would uh, what would you say, last, last, last one on this, what would you say to a congregation with a big, with a big building and, you know, the bill, declining membership or stagnant membership and we're thinking about what do we do with this building? Should we, should we get rid of it? Should we sell? And who would? And how would you address those who would say, "What a failure we will be if we abandon this building"? Yeah. So you wouldn't be a failure. Um, you would just be changing. Um, and how many buildings did you have to go through to then get to that building? Right? How many people's homes? Because that's the thing is that we see a building that was built in 1920 and we forget that it took 40 years to get to that point, right? Or 50 or 60, right? It's not like five Jewish guys got in a room, guys and ladies got in a room and said, like, all right, cool, million dollar campaign, you know, capital campaign. That's not how it works. Um, you know, you started off meeting in someone's shop, right? The number, the number of synagogues that get started in people's stores or living rooms is enormous. Um, so don't be afraid of being a failure. You're just evolving. Um, I, you know, I personally am a big fan of the idea of turn your space into something else. If you really only need a sanctuary, a couple of classrooms and an office, then focus on that is you, that is your thing. And now you have all this extra space that you can get rental income from. And that's, you know, there's, there was some article my wife was reading that was called Get Rich Slowly. And it was all about the key is rental real estate. That is, that is the best way to get rich slowly. 
So do that, you know, start renting your space out. I don't think people need to just sell their buildings and then go move into a smaller spot unless that's what really makes sense. If if you're in a building where, you know, all of the, the Jewish community or, or Lutheran community or whomever has all moved somewhere else and you need to go be there because your people are driving from there to you. OK, yeah, different ballgame. And even then, rent all that space out and, and buy somewhere else. Don't necessarily sell to rebuild. Um, so, yeah, that would be my suggestion. Just start renting it out. To, you know, what's the low-hanging fruit? You know, find you know find the people in your congregation and say, hey, who do you know who needs an office? Who do you know who needs a classroom? You know, and then just per square foot. And then you could sit in 15 minutes. You could sit down and figure out whether or not that was going to be profitable and just put, you know, a part-time administrator in charge of that. Boom, easy. Or there's all of these companies that do property management. Hire them and have them do it. They they then will make money off of you, making money off of your building. So that's a win-win all around. You don't have to manage anything and that's a little money in that business's coffer, so then they're paying for an employee. So you can take some credit for that. And your building gets used. And who knows, maybe there will be some, you know, Jewish woodworker or motorcycle repair person who's like, dang, man, all I've been looking for is, you know, a room full of 65 plus year olds to, you know, sing Shabbat songs with. Who knows? Who knows indeed. Um, I think on that note, I think we'll sign off for now. But um, we'll be back soon. Absolutely. Take care, everyone.